Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Welcome everybody. Good afternoon. It's Thursday afternoon. It's Fresh Thinking. It's good to be back. It's been a bit of a hiatus. If you've missed me, <laughs> so then uh, how's about you let me know? Why not? So it's a nice thing. Just uh, to to feel that that you were missing something on your Thursday afternoon, and of course it's nice to make somebody else feel good. So yeah, welcome aboard. It's good to have you back. We're also streaming live on Facebook. It's usually a nice thing to do. Uh, creates a little bit of extra engagement. If you've got something that you would like to share at any point during this show, there is an SMS line, 34519. There is a line through Telegram on 0618951019. There is always social media, my Facebook, Chai FM's Facebook page. There is Twitter, where you can catch us at Chai FM and at Rabbi Shish. So here we are, we're together. I just heard on the news that it is Stan Lee's Yorzai. I don't know if it's the Hebrew date, but still, as we say in the classics, the Neshama should have an Aliyah. It's not what we're going to be talking about today, but I did think it was kind of intriguing and something that would probably get people a little bit interested. Certainly got my attention. Instead, I'd like to ask you a question, and perhaps the way to start that question is, let's start it first in a more generic sense, and then we'll hone it in to something a little bit more contentious. So, simple question to start. And that question is, if you had a choice, and the choice was to either win a big, huge amount of money in the lottery, or if you alternatively had the choice to work really hard and perhaps not earn that much, not as much as you could have won in the lottery, uh, enough, enough that you'd feel good about yourself, enough that you'd be a success story, enough that you would be comfortable or possibly more than comfortable, which would you prefer? Do you prefer to uh, win the lottery or would you prefer to have sweat equity? And it's an interesting question because if you're honest about it, this is a question that must extend further than just on... Uh, you know, it's got to be more than just the lottery, right? <laughs> it's got to be something that extends a little bit beyond that as well. So let's let's talk about it because this is, I guess, a whole attitude that we have in life. The attitude of whether life is supposed to be plain sailing, whether we expect that things will fall into our laps, or whether we expect that life is going to give you hard knocks. And that's just part of the experience. Pick yourself up. Make a run for it. Do the best that you can. And that's really where I'd like to go with this conversation. So it's not just about the lottery. It's a little broader than that. So get your juices flowing. Let's get thinking about what the impact would be about if life was just going to be things neatly falling into place because you've got this wonderful, easy, great, comfortable life winning the lottery, not just financially, or... Do you think that there's there's some kind of a value in having those difficult experiences in life, you know, where you've really got to try, you know, where you've really got to work? So that's that's something I think many of us think about. You know, sometimes you're driving down the road 
and you see one of those signs that tells you how much money is available in this week's lottery, and you think, oh, if only. And other times we're kind of going through life, not necessarily driving on the road, but just going through life at large and thinking, why? Why does it have to be so difficult? So that's really what we're going to explore just a little bit during the course of today. I would love to hear your insight, your input, and the way to do that, 34519, if you're going to send an SMS. Otherwise, on Telegram, 0618951019, at Chai FM, at Rabashish, if you're using Twitter. Otherwise, on Facebook. Let's hear what it is that you have to say about this. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Right, so let's put the question a little differently because this will, I'm sure, get people thinking. So let's say, for argument's sake, you had a conversation with somebody and in the course of the conversation, the person said to you, I wish that life could be easier. What would you say? Okay, so the person says, I wish that my life could be easier, um, which I think probably a good few people say. Right? I don't think it's such an unusual comment. So the person says, I wish life would be easier. What, what do you say to such a person? How do you respond to such a person? Especially if you really want to be honest and really hold up a mirror to yourself and ask yourself the question, what if you're that person? <laughs> what if you're the person who finds yourself saying one morning after how many days of coronavirus, weeks, months, you know, somebody sent me a message a, a while ago. It was probably about a week ago. It was like an incredible way to contextualize what's going on. So this is somebody who obviously is uh, at, a, at high risk, and so they don't want to expose themselves to God forbid catch the virus. So they said they've had 600 and something, I don't remember the exact an- amount, 600 and something meals alone. Okay? So you get to that point, and you start to realize, whoa, hang on a second, that there's some real challenges out there, and perhaps the person who says, I wish life was easier, is myself. Maybe when I look in the mirror... I say to myself, wow, I wish life were easier. So then, that's a really good question. What do you tell yourself? Is that is that a healthy aspiration? Is it something that's just going to set us up for more disappointment? Wishing and therefore imagining. So wishing that life would be easier. So imagining that life should be easier. And then facing the reality that life doesn't get easier. Is, is, is that good? Is, is it something we should embrace? Is it something that we should uh, push back against? Is it something we should fight and say, it's not supposed to be that way and life shouldn't be so difficult? I think we've got to be careful, by the way, if the person who asks the question or makes the comment, I wish life would be easier, it's very different if that person is somebody else or if that person is yourself. Because the language that you can use with yourself is quite different to, to the language that you can use or are entitled to use when speaking to somebody else. Now, here's, here's a response that I don't quite understand. Maybe somebody can help me with this. So the question is, if somebody says uh, they wish that life was easier, what would you tell them? So Daniel on Twitter says, and I saw somebody else, I can't remember where I saw it, a minute ago on Facebook, somebody said the same thing. That's why it's like, whoa, kind of just caught me by surprise. Somebody says, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. Okay? I thought everybody is. <laughs> Are we not living? 
Is, am I missing something? I, I don't understand that response. So if anybody has an insight into what that response is supposed to mean, I'd be really interested to hear what it is that you have to say. And remember that the purpose of this conversation, that's why we call it fresh thinking, is to take concepts we deal with in real life and spiritual ideas that we are aware of and put the two together. Very often we separate them. Very often we've got the reality of our life as we experience it. And it's, uh, it, it, that's what's tangible. That's what's real. That's what's subjective to us. And then we've got the things we read about in books, which are nice concepts, and they're very inspiring and motivating at the time we read them, close the book, go back to real life, and those concepts don't necessarily seem to actually hold water in the real world. So this is, it's great. I'd love to hear your personal views, because that contextualizes for us real life, what people are really experiencing, or how people really respond to what they experience. But really the goal of this conversation is to try and define a, an authentic Jewish approach. So what is or should be the authentic Jewish approach to the feeling of, oh, I wish life was easier. I wish that I didn't have the kind of pressure I'm currently experiencing or the individual challenge or challenges that I'm experiencing. So that's really where we need to go with this. The opinions of individuals are critical to this conversation because by you sharing your opinion, we get an, a sense, we get a landscape of what it is that people generally feel. And then we have to say, is that aligned with what the Torah would want from us? Is there wisdom within Judaism that perhaps we haven't grasped that could shift our perspective or remove some of that pressure or make it, so to speak, more livable? Okay, I knew this one was coming from somewhere. It was definitely going to come. Uh, <laughs> so this is uh, Vanessa on Twitter who says, life is a B-I, you know what, and then you die. Whoa. <laughs> I, I mean, people use that expression, and it is fairly common. It's cliched. It's very pessimistic. Don't believe that that's how a Jewish person is supposed to live and to see the world. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe many people do feel that way. Uh, here's somebody who says, Ian says also on Twitter, that we should tell the individual who says, I wish life was easier, that they should be grateful for what they have and make the most of things. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't disagree with that. Of course, if somebody feels that life is overwhelming, but they are ignoring the good things in their life, the blessings in their life, then it's definitely appropriate to tell this person, look, maybe your opinion is a little bit skewed. Maybe you are not quite looking at life through the lens you should be looking at life. Let's let's refocus for a minute. And sometimes that's an incredibly healthy thing to do with a person. You have to have a good relationship with them, I believe, in order to be able to have that conversation to say, count your blessings. You'd, you'd have to be somebody who they wouldn't feel that that is dismissive if you use that kind of an expression. And of course, let's be honest, sometimes people have things on their plate that are so overwhelming that make it feel like, whoa, hang on a second, you just really don't get me. You just really are dismissive or uh, minimize my personal experience and suffering because you're just telling me, focus on the brochas, focus on the good things. I think many a person over the course of time has been terribly um, offended by that kind of an approach. Here's Simcha Sika on Twitter who says something that is aligned, of course, where we're going to go with this conversation, not necessarily from this exact perspective, but... He's invoked the character that I'd like to use from a Jewish perspective, from a Torah perspective, to help us create the, the right approach and the right attitude to life should be easier. So he says, Abraham was tested many times, and we will be too. The key to life is viewing the challenging pieces as tests 
and trusting in the one above to help us pass those tests. Wow. Okay. So how many people would resonate with that and say, the tough stuff that's happening in my life is a test. And if I, I what does it mean to pass a test, by the way? What does that actually mean? So does it mean, for example, to retain your faith in the face of difficulty? Is that what it means to pass the test? Does passing the test mean that you still retain healthy relationships with the people around you in spite of the stress that you're going through? Does passing the test mean to realign your perspective on what is actually considered um, easy or difficult? So I say, I wish life could be easier. Maybe my expectations are wrong. So perhaps to pass the test means to shift those expectations. These are all valid perspectives that we have to consider because possibly the truth and the answer to this question lies in shifting perspective. Okay, here's somebody who says, if you would tell, if somebody would tell me life, uh, I wish life were easier, their response would be me too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's what I was saying right in the beginning. You know, sometimes that person who's asking the question is actually ourselves. In the mirror, we look at ourselves and we wonder, I wish life for me could be easier. So there's some, uh, some nice thoughts. There's a few others I'm going to share with you that have come through as well. And we are also going to, obviously the goal of this is to explore a Torah, Judaism, authentic perspective or try and at least find it. But in the meanwhile, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Do you feel that life could be a little bit easier? Do you feel that perhaps we have too much struggle in our lives? Would you rather win the lottery? 34519, if you're going to send us a text message, otherwise via Telegram on 0618951019. You can also use Facebook or Twitter at HaifaMatravashish if you'd like to comment on this conversation. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Great question over here on Twitter. This is what's wonderful about the Chai FM broader social media audience is that people think. So my question was, what do you tell the individual who says to you, I wish that life could be easier? And, and a number of people immediately scrambled to give answers, and there are a whole lot of answers, and I will share some of those with you. But here's somebody who's thinking a little bit out of the box on Twitter who says, first ask them, what do they mean by easier? Great question. That's actually why I, uh, that's why I brought up the winning the lottery thing right at the beginning. Because does easier mean less painful? Let's say that a person has something that is a real challenge in their lives. God forbid a health issue, a family breakdown, a, a financial strain that just doesn't seem to go away, a psychiatric challenge. There are many things that people could deal with that you can understand exactly what they mean when they say they wish life were easier, that they didn't have that particular debilitating challenge. And then there are other people who say, I wish life were easier. Actually, what they mean to say is that I wish life were more convenient. Or perhaps what they mean is, I wish more things would go my way. So that was a very insightful comment over here from, um, from Twitter. Um, say, you know, here's somebody saying that, what do they mean by easier? And that's, that's critical. We have to ask that question, if not of the person who we, um, have been approached by should certainly ask the question of ourselves. What do I mean? What do I mean if I would say uh, that life should be easier? Uh, Lana says, yeah, take my problems and very quickly you'll give them back and realize that life is easier. It's an old Yiddish saying like that, that if everybody would collect their problems and put them into, let's say, like a bowl in the middle of a room, and then you would uh, see all the different problems that are collated in this bowl. Every person would take their own problem. <laughs> they would take it back. Because ultimately, 
as difficult as we imagine life to be, the bottom line is somebody else out there who you might have thought has the perfect life is struggling as well. But that's not my question. My question isn't to compare why does everybody else seem to have an easier time and why does everybody else seem to have a good life. My question is, as a principle, as an approach to life, is the correct approach from a Torah Jewish perspective to look for an easy life? Is that a value that we should pursue? Should we want an easy life? Should we wish to win the lottery? It's an interesting question because as I think we'll explore, you can probably argue it both ways. So the question really is, where are you coming from in saying, that's why this, that was so insightful to say, what do you mean by, uh, you know, if life would be easier? Wh- what do you mean by that? Because that's definitely significant to help us to, to try and get to the point, you know, to the, to the, the per- <laughs> yeah, somebody really funny. Uh, for us to get to the point and get to the purpose of this particular, uh, to the answer to this particular question here, what's so funny is that, and only, only a South African crowd would appreciate this, and only, I suppose, those people who are a little bit more familiar. So here's Rene who says, <laughs> Gotta love that. Anybody who could appreciate the context, not only the translation. Please be patient. Your call will be answered. That's effectively what she's saying. In other words, uh, when you come along and banging down the door and saying, I wish life would be easier, as somebody else has put it, uh, take, take a number and stand in line. You're not the first. You're not going to be the last. And probably most of us wish that at least something in our lives would be a little bit easier. It does not necessarily mean that, uh, that that's correct. You know, we wish it would be, but here's a lovely one. And um, for those of you who remember, I don't know that it's only attributed to him, but, but Liz has quoted it here on Facebook in his name, Ari Fuld, who was murdered in Israel, what was it, just over a year ago, I think it was. And he says, apparently he used this line, but I have heard it from other people as well. He says, if life is easy, you're not living it right. That's something to think about. Is that a Jewish perspective? I think it's quite a motivational thought to hear, especially for somebody who's struggling a little bit. It's actually quite validating to hear that. But is that a, an authentic Torah-based Jewish view of life? If life is easy, you're not living it right. And uh, there, there are a number of things floating around in my head that, uh, interestingly enough, all related to the parasha this week that I think help set the tone for how we're supposed to tackle this particular conversation. In fact, that was a little clue. So maybe there's somebody out there who's going to now scramble and think, hey, hang on a second, what's in the parish of this week? What can we dig up? What might be able to give us some kind of an insight into this particular question? Bearing in mind that we had somebody earlier who said Abraham was tested multiple times. We do know that Abraham is one of the main characters of the parish of this week. So it's got to be something, surely, to do with the story of Abraham himself, or at least, if not Abraham, Sarah, his wife. Let's think about this. If you read the biblical stories, did they have a plain sailing, easy life? Far from it. Please tell me which individual in biblical history had an easy life. Oh, and parenthetically, how many of them complained that they wished their life would be easier? Yes, there were times that Moses complained that he wished the Jews would be easier to manage. Yes. But I don't think that that was a complaint about his life. That was a complaint about their lives. I wish they were more aligned with what they should be doing. I wish they would resonate better 
with the things that they're supposed to connect with and believe in. That was more of his of his push. But have a look in biblical history. The great founders of our faith, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rocholea, the patriarchs and matriarchs, they did not have easy lives by any stretch. Abraham had a father who wanted to kill him and then handed him over to the authorities who tried to kill him. And then he had to leave home at an advanced age, start a brand new life, dealt with infertility, lived through famine, had to run away, had his wife abducted. She advised him to have a, a second wife. That brought a whole major area of stress and challenge to his life. Of course, all the various other issues around extended family, his nephew and the multiple stories and shenanigans associated with him, eventually being challenged to kill his own son, which of course was just a test, and Hashem at the end pulled back and said, okay, you have now shown absolute dedication in an unprecedented fashion. Look at his son Yitzchak. What, Yitzchak had an easy life? Far from it. One of his first chapters of his life, at least that the Torah tells us, is exactly that, about having been brought up as a potential sacrifice. We know that he suffered terribly um, from having a son who brought all these women into the home and they used to bring incense to idolatry and eventually it affected him to such an extent that, he's, that he went blind. He had multiple conflicts with the Philistines about the, the land that he wanted to use and the, the wells that he wanted to dig. He had uh, the conflict between his two sons where, of course, Yaakov, the younger son, had to run away from home. You can imagine Rivka, the wife, who also suffered terrible infertility. They didn't have easy lives. Yaakov did not have an easy life. Working for all those years and then landing up being given the woman he had not intended to marry and fighting with a father-in-law who really cheated him at every corner, not to mention his brother who wanted to kill him, not to mention how his sons took one of the sons, in fact his favorite, and uh, feigned his death while they had really sold him off into slavery. Joseph, Joseph didn't have an easy life. Moses didn't have an easy life. Tell me who in biblical history had an easy life. Who? seems that the Torah is kind of building us to an understanding that if life is easy, you might be living it wrong. Something to think about. Something really to think about. And perhaps if you contextualize it with the how often in Jewish literature, in Torah literature, we say that there's this concept of avoidas Hashem, serving God. The word avoida means that it is hard work. It is slog. It's not going to be easy. There is no path of least resistance on the journey to meaning. If you wanted that, you'd have to be an Ashama floating in Gan Eden, in the highest spiritual realms. There things are clear and open and smooth. But clearly God didn't want us all floating as Nishamas in heaven. Proof is we're here. And here is a place that's got a lot of pushback, a lot of obstacle, a lot of distraction, a lot of failure, a lot of disappointment. So it would appear that struggle is not necessarily bad. Pain, that's a different story. We're not talking about that. That's why the, the, that question earlier, what do you mean by life being easier, is a significant question. If people experience, God forbid, pain, that's something that we pray to have alleviated. If people struggle, well, that could well be how people become stronger. Think of your personal trainer at gym. Let's uh, hear what you have to say about it. You can send a text message on 34519, alternatively via the Telegram app on 0618951019. Just by the way, if you're overseas, then you put a plus 27 instead of that first zero. 
So it's plus two seven six one eight nine five one zero one nine. And then the most international platforms of all, social media, you can interact on the Facebook page, HiFM's Facebook page, on my Facebook page, on Twitter, at HiFM and at Rabbi Shish. Any of those channels will give you a voice on this show. Pick up a Norwood, Hyper, have these pocket-saving deals just for you. Pick and pay kosher ginger cakes are selling hot at 20 Rand 99 each. Pick and pay kosher melting moments biscuits are a mouth-watering 69.99 per kilo. Pick and pay kosher long French bread is a scrumptious 10 Rand 99 each. Pick and pay kosher Swiss rolls are just 18 Rand 99 each. Catch these and many more specials in store. These specials are exclusive to Pick and Pay Norwood Hyper and are only while stocks last. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood is the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. The Chai FM helpline has helped many, many people and now the Chai FM helpline is appealing to you. Due to the sheer volume of calls to the helpline, the helpline is in need of additional qualified counselors. If you are a qualified social worker or psychologist and you would like to volunteer at the helpline, please email helpline at chayfm.com. If, however, you are in need of mental or emotional support, please call the ChaiFM helpline on 0800 24 24 36. It's quite something. It's a, it's a sign of success, right, when your helpline is that busy that you have to reach out for more people to help. Great sign. Obviously, the helpline is doing good. Welcome aboard. If you have just joined us, we're just over halfway through the show. You're with Rabbi Shishler. This is Fresh Thinking, as we do on Thursday afternoons. Take topics that affect us in our lives and try and look at them through a healthy lens of Torah insight. There are many messages coming through, which is absolutely fantastic. My apologies in advance if I don't read your message, because some of them are relatively Similar to each other. Here's Teresa who says on Twitter, we were never promised an easy life. That's true. Right? There is no certificate that comes at birth that says this will be easy. And then Teresa continues, practice mindfulness. Live as best you can in the moment. Life and how we handle it comes from within ourselves. And of course, that is uh, in response to the question of what do you tell the person who is going through the, or I don't say going through for the person who is concerned that they wish life could be easier. Uh, here's somebody just coming back to my question and win the lottery because that was supposed to be like a metaphor for all of this. So Marco says winning the lottery is definitely the better option than you invest it smart to get a steady income. Okay. Fair enough. Here's an interesting one. This is uh, Assis on Twitter who says, a question, if someone is addicted to suffering, is it better to continue to empathize or break the fantasy and be real with them? I like that point a lot. Really do. Because there's great value in empathy. Obviously, if somebody's going through an incredibly difficult period, something that's real, something that they cannot control, empathy is appropriate. If a person is going through something which is either perceived or it might be something that they have the capacity to be able to change in some way, well, then perhaps your empathy translates into enabling. Really, really good point. So, um, there's, there, yeah, there's a bunch of other comments. Let's just uh, go through one or two other. Here's uh, Aaron on Twitter who says, you tell the person, I know it must be so hard for you. That's an empathetic statement. So that's really good. Uh, here's Muhammad on Twitter who says, 
Thousands of desires, each worth dying for. Many of them I've realized, yes, yet I yearn for more. <laughs> That's very similar, by the way, to what the Talmud says, that a person who has a hundred of whatever currency it is, by nature wants two hundred. In others, we're, we're hungry beings, or I suppose dissatisfied beings. We're always looking for something more. So perhaps some people say that life should be easier. Then they actually mean I want more stuff. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Here's another one. Um, Big Truth Feels on Twitter says, You never, ever know where your steps lead you. Do your best. Sometimes you can thank God for walking the land of hell because walking through hell can lead your way to heaven. Okay? That's that's very, very interesting because essentially what he's saying is that, um, you know, if you... If you go, if you push through the tough stuff, that's actually where you find the real meaningful stuff. And I, I resonate with that absolutely. Looking for an easy life, not necessarily what a person should be trying to do. And that's what brings me, like I said, there's a lot that we could take from this week's Torah portion. And I'd like to share at least one of those things with you. So here's, here's a picture. Here's a story. Remember that the Torah is not a book of history. The Torah is not designed just to fill in pieces of what happened during a particular period of time. The Torah is designed as a book of lessons. Whichever stories it tells us, those are the stories of your life and my life. Yes, the characters in the story, the protagonists, the archetypes are Abraham and Sarah and whoever it might be. The story is the story of our lives. So the opening scene of this week's Torah portion is where Sarah, Sarah has passed away. And now her bereft husband, Abraham, has to bury her. And so he goes to some of the locals living at that time in the land of Canaan, living in the area, at that point he was in, in the area around Hebron. He goes to the locals and he says, I need to bury my wife. Would you allow me, would you allow me to, to buy a burial plot in your territory? And they say to him, and this is fascinating, they say to him, look, um, we'll be honest with you, we think you're a great guy. Now, parenthetically, not for this conversation, but there's something to be discussed about a conversation that starts with flattery. <laughs> so they start off and they say, we think you're amazing. You are a prince of God who walks among us. It's an incredible uh, kind of compliment to give somebody. You can choose the best plot out of this entire area to bury your dead. Not one of us will obstruct you bearing your dead. Doesn't that sound so magnanimous? Doesn't that sound so beautiful? Here these individuals are saying, Abraham, you're such a special person. We have so much respect for you. You have earned your rights. Remember, at this time, Abraham is an old man, somebody who has dedicated over a century of his time to people. This is to educating people. And then for the lion's share of that period of time to feeding people, literally feeding people and, and caring for their physical needs. He's, he's very popular. He's seen as, as a, a prophet. He's appreciated as this incredible individual. And they say, we'll give it to you. It would be our honor and our privilege to give you this piece of land. And, and you can bury Sarah, no problem. And Abraham says, thanks, but no thanks. If you have a look in the Torah, he uses an expression, an unusual expression. He says, I will buy the piece of land, the cave of Machpelah, very holy site for Jewish people till today, the burial place not only of Sarah, but Abraham himself, and then his son Yitzchak and his wife Rivka and his grandson Yaakov and his wife Leah. 
Prior to that, Adam and Eve were told are buried in that area. It's an incredibly important epicenter of holiness. And Abraham says, thanks but no thanks. I really appreciate what you've offered me. And the truth is, if we're gonna, if we're gonna talk openly, the truth is, I should accept your offer. Because God has promised me this land. And so, actually it wouldn't even be a gift. Actually, it would already be mine. By divine right. But thanks, no thanks. I'm only willing to take this piece of land if I can pay you full value of the land. Full price. And we need to understand what's the lesson in that. It's a great story and it helps us to understand that Abraham was the kind of individual, as the Talmud says, that, uh, you know, that there's a verse from King Solomon, if you hate gifts, you'll live long. So, He's that kind of man. doesn't want to take freebies. But why? What's the lesson in that? Love to hear your thoughts. 34519. That is our SMS line. There's also Telegram on 0618951019. And the absolute flow of messages on Twitter. At And on Facebook. Love to hear your views. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So there we go. I hope you've got some uh, food for thought as we're talking about this concept of life being easy, difficult. I've just left you with a question. Maybe somebody's got an insight into it. And that question is, <laughs> that's funny, uh, Lauren, Lauren just uh, posted on Twitter because my question earlier was about winning the lottery. It says lottery, not even close. There are a lot of other um, comments that have come through. Love to come back to all of them, but I also want to share this perspective because it's incredibly powerful. So we've got the story of Abraham and there he is. His uh, wife has passed away. Sorry, he has to bury her. He looks to the Maras and Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah in Hebron, burial place of Adam and Eve, and subsequently would become the burial place of the greatest matriarchs and patriarchs of the Jewish world. And he says, that's what I want, but I'm only willing to take it if I pay absolutely full price for it. What's the lesson in this? Why does he insist on full price? Now, Rashi is the foremost commentator on the Torah, immediately links this story to another story that's going to happen generations later, and it's recorded in the Bible in Divrei HaYomim, in the book of Chronicles. That's the story of where King David also needed to buy a piece of land that would be the future site of the temple. And he negotiates at that point with a fellow called Aravna, who previously had been a king in Jerusalem and had been conquered by David. Now, by international law, the victor takes the land, the conqueror takes the land, especially in this particular case, because the mandate to conquer Canaan was divine mandate. So look at that. We've got the divine mandate given to Abraham. This is your land. <coughs> we have the divine mandate given to Joshua to conquer the land, and which was eventually uh, executed in that particular region, the Temple Mount, by King David. So you've got all the rights that you need, and yet both of these characters... <coughs> insist on paying. King David, like Abraham, says, I'm only willing to take this if I can pay in full. So now we've got a double lesson. Remember that the Torah is not there to tell us pieces of history or to make little nice connections, hyperlinks, you know, click on the story of King David and it will take you to the story of Abraham. And there's a common theme over there that they don't want to take nothing for nothing. There's a lesson, an incredibly important lesson that surely we should learn from this. You know, there's an interesting midrash that tells the story when God promised Abraham the land of, of Canaan that it would be the inheritance of his children. 
So it wasn't absolutely clear exactly what the boundaries were going to be. So God tells him, go, traverse the land, up, down, right, left, you know, check it out, see what the land is all about. And on a particular part of the journey, Abraham comes across this particular area, which technically actually isn't within the borders of Israel. And he notes that the population who lives there are incredibly laid back and they just don't have a good work ethic. They're not interested in the tough stuff. They're not interested in putting the effort. Or as I said earlier, avoida, this concept of having to work to serve Hashem. And Abraham, the Medrash tells us, talks to God and he says, please do not include that region in our inheritance. You know, there's a principle that Talmud speaks about that the nature of land actually produces different populations. That's why you can, you might live in the same country, but you go from one city to another, from one state to another, and it may as well be a different country, different climates, different topography, different uh, influences, the drinking water, whatever it is. People are different in different locales. It's, it's really interesting to see. So Abraham's like, I don't, I don't want my, kid, my, my descendants growing up over there because they have this attitude that there's no value in work. And as the verse says in the book of Job, that man was born, was produced in order to work. That is our value. Our value is to invest. Our value is to struggle. Our, not that struggle that life should have to be hard. You don't ask for it. You don't invite him and say, hit me with your best shot, God, because I believe that all of that uh, resistance is going to make me stronger. No, we don't invite him. We don't ask for it. Every single day we get up, we say in our early morning prayers, don't bring us into a situation where we are tested because we don't know. We might not stand up to the test. We might not overcome. Yet at the same time, a really big part of being Jewish, as illustrated in the story, is you pay for things if you want to really value them. He wants this piece of land to become a holy piece of land. Not just another possession in his portfolio of properties. Abraham is not a developer. Abraham is a spiritual individual whose entire goal and purpose is, as the Talmud says, the verse tells us, that he announced God wherever he went, says the Talmud, that Abraham's approach to life wasn't just to belt out his message. Hey, I believe in God, like a high Park Corner rhetoric kind of thing. He wanted people to totally resonate with his message and Shift their perspective and recognize God. And if that's true for people, it was true for places too. That an environment that ultimately is a Canaanite environment, a place of really promiscuous headspace, behavior that is totally misaligned with, with Jewish values, let's make that place holy. Let's flip it. Let's turn things around. That was Abraham's war crime. But that doesn't happen easy. Things that are meaningful, things that are valuable, they don't happen easily. They are bechesef mole things. The meaningful growth in life is directly relative to the amount of investment, of time, of energy, of thought, of commitment, of emotion. Those are the meaningful things. Gee, look at a relationship as an example. You know, you watch Hollywood. And you get the impression that emotions, sorry, that relationships are just supposed to flow. People meet, they fall in love. What a horrible phrase. Why would you fall? In all Jewish literature, falling implies that something terrible has happened. Falling from grace, falling from power, falling from a position. Falling in love? 
No, that's exactly the point. If it's so smooth and easy and everything is fine, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying people don't have that broche in their life where everything they touch succeeds, where they meet the person first person they ever meet, that's the person that they're connected with for the rest of their life. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but if you think for one moment that because that happened from there on there's no further struggle, from there on there's no need to invest kesef mole absolute power, absolute investment in what you're doing, if you think that's it, everything has fallen into my lap and I'm good, that's the greatest danger that could absolutely undo all of the talent, value and good fortune that a person could have in their life. Sometimes things come to you as a gift. Yes. Sometimes the people of Canaan, the family of Ches, as was in this particular story, come over to you and say, you are a representative of God. We love you. We think you're amazing. You're Abraham himself. You're Hashem's prophet. Here you go. Here's a gift. Sometimes you're King David and you've got this person who was your antagonist and now he's suddenly your your supporter and he says, I'll give you this piece of land. I, I buy into it. I understand it. You've vanquished me. You've knocked me off my pedestal. I have a different perspective now. I support you. So here you go. It's a gift. Sometimes in life you wake up and realize, wow, I'm privileged. I'm privileged financially. Or I'm privileged because of the education I had. Or I'm privileged because I come from a good family. Or I'm privileged because I have seichel, because I have a good head. Or I'm privileged because I'm naturally inclined to more spiritual things. Or I'm naturally inclined to good behavior. Wow, I'm great. I don't have to struggle. There's those people who have to struggle. They're the people who have to really wade their way through stuff in life. Come along both our forefather Abraham and King David and tell us, when the gifts are coming your way, you have to remind yourself that greatness actually happens with full investment. And full investment is a bit of a struggle, a bit of a push. And uh, I know not everybody necessarily wants to hear that. Not everybody necessarily resonates with that. So I'd like to hear your thoughts just before we wrap up in a couple of moments. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So yeah, here we go. Uh, somebody just sent through exactly what we're talking about. Very nicely summarized. Maybe I'll share the uh, Facebook link if I can uh, if I can just find it because they've sent it on Twitter. But yeah, there you go. That's exactly the point. You see, very often in life, the person who is having struggle, whatever the struggle is, again, let's leave pain out of it. Pain is a different conversation. Pain needs to be dealt with with empathy. Pain needs to be, uh, you need to hear the person. You need to support the person. You don't philosophize to somebody who's in pain. You help solve their pain. So, uh, you know, that's a completely different perspective. But um, when you um, when you struggle in life and when you say, oh, I wish things were easier. I wish I didn't have all these errands. I wish I didn't have all these. That's not necessarily a Jewish view. So we've got this lesson from our forefather Abraham and from King David. And the lesson basically says this. You know, here's an interesting concept. The Jewish nation come out of Egypt. Picture this. They've been slaves for two centuries. They get out of Egypt. Of course, it's a completely different reality. But they're given uh, Uber Eats every single day in the form of the manna. They're protected by this beautiful climate-controlled environment that God has provided for them. They're protected from enemies. Life is wonderful. All you have to do on any given day is just pay attention to what Moses happens to be teaching on that particular day and be inspired. And what do they do? They complain. Isn't that interesting? When life is easy, people complain. Look around at the world that we live in. 
Look at the kind of things that people protest and, exp- and complain about. They are privileged protests. We're not talking about, yes, of course, there are people who protest the fact that they can't put food on their table. There are people who protest the fact that they live in squalor. There are people who protest the fact that they're being discriminated against in a terrible way. But then there are people who complain because life is just not as comfortable as I want it to be. Here you have the Jews in the desert. What do they complain about? They say, we remember that we were in Egypt and we used to eat fish for free. Oh, really? I don't know of a higher price that you can pay for something than paying with your life. They were slaves. They had absolutely no independence. They had no way of earning. They could only put on their table whatever their benefactors, i.e. slave masters, gave them. And they call that free? Yes. You know why? Because when you live in Egypt, things come for free. Or the corollary. When things flow for free, when everything is easy, realize that you're probably living in Egypt. Meaning to say, you're living in a place that's always going to leave you hungry, that's always going to leave you worrying, that's always going to leave you with high expectations. Why am I not getting what I deserve? The person who knows that life is about effort, and it's about investment, and it's about pushing myself, and it's about bechesef mole. I've got to give everything that I have to grow, to do, to challenge, to discover how I can go beyond my natural talents. Because it's no good just being here as a human being, riding on the coattails of what God has gifted me with. The reason he put me here was to see what I could come up with of my own. So as a colleague of mine has just messaged me, he said, take those same words, bechesef mole, which means to pay full price. You could also read it as, when you pay full price, mole, you become full. When you fully invest, when you take things head on, when you don't look for the path of least resistance or try and find an easy, comfy life, when you're willing to actually invest, you'd be amazed at how full you become. You'd be amazed at how much you could grow and develop. You'd be amazed at how much clarity you could have in your life and how much connection to Hashem you could achieve. That's why our forefather Abraham says, I won't take gifts. I want to earn. I don't want to win any lotteries. I'd rather have less than I have achieved because it's mine and it's full and it's meaningful and, it, and it, it's in aligned with why Hashem sent my soul into this world rather than just to have all the luxury and enjoyment and pleasure and talent and wonderful things in the world that I did not invest in. Major food for thought. I hope that you've uh, enjoyed it. Thanks for the messages today. Such great insights and messages. I did not get to all of them. And uh, let's, please God, have a full life. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Wishing you a good Shabbos. Next week is Rosh Chodesh. We're going to the beautiful month of Kislev, a month of miracles. May we all see miracles.